welcome to the Uncork Corner Podcast. My name is Nick. I'm here again with my co-host, Bianca. Today, we're very excited to welcome Jackie Summers from Sorrel Liqueur to the podcast. So Jackie, why don't we start by having you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background. What's going on? My name is Jackie Summers. I am the founder of Jack from Brooklyn and the creator of Sorrel Liqueur. Uh, and my background, wow, where do we want to start with that? Let's start uh, from the beginning. How did you get into liquor in general and uh, start your brand, start uh, Jack from Brooklyn there, and uh, especially then we'll get into Sorrel Liqueur? Oh, I had a cancer scare. Uh, the beverage which became Sorrel was something that has centuries of Caribbean heritage. It's been around for at least 500 years. Uh, my grandparents all came from the Caribbean. My mother's parents came from an island called Barbados. And my grandfather was a chef. So he taught mom and mom taught me. So I was making this beverage from my cultural history for almost 20 years in my kitchen without thinking twice about it. 12 years ago, my doctor found a tumor inside my spine the size of a golf ball. He said, you have a 95% chance of death. And the 50% chance of paralysis, if you live, you should organize your paperwork. That's the phrase that really gets your attention. Uh, the short version is I lived, yay! Because this would be an awkward conversation if I died. Well, uh, we're happy you, you are here, so. <laughs> but it, it, it's, a, it's a reset on your priorities. It really lets you think about what's important in life to you. I had 25 years invested in corporate America, but I got a chance, I got a chance to think about now that, I'm, now that I'm going to live, what am I going to do with myself? And the thing I wanted to do most in the world is day drink. I, I just want to be around interesting people in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week. I want to have great conversations over great food and beverage, and I wanted to monetize it. After 25 years and being in a cubicle, who doesn't want that? And when I couldn't think who's going to pay me to enjoy that lifestyle, I launched a liquor brand, and here we are. Well, we're excited to try it. So uh, that led us to Sorel here, right? So tell us about Sorel as a brand and a little bit about the liqueur itself. And I know you said it's a liqueur that has a long background, so maybe a little bit about the history of it, if you uh, have much of that. So across the entire narrow equator band, uh, hibiscus plants grow and they were using hibiscus plants for medicinal purposes in Africa for thousands of years. It's full of antimicrobials, full of antioxidants. It's got more vitamin C than most citrus fruits. It's a natural anti-inflammatory. <clears throat> it's a natural aphrodisiac. And this became part of their ceremony and their tradition. Fast forward to around 500 years ago, and the transatlantic trade starts, and now bodies and spices are being stolen from Africa, packed into the bottom of ships and sold in ports in the Caribbean. And this is the important part because I, they really did everything they could to strip these people of their identity. They changed their names, they broke up families, they changed their religion, they sold them, the physical treatment they received was beyond inhumane, but they kept making this beverage because it's a cultural identifier. This was something people did to remind them of who they were. And the interesting thing about this is, again, 
the knowledge of what this plant can do is transported across the ocean in the bottom of boats, only the people who can do it. But there are no recipes because they're not allowed to read or write. So this knowledge is passed down from grandparent to, to, to parent to child. If you've never seen someone do it, there's no way of knowing how to do it. Uh, I grew up with it, like I mentioned before, and I was doing this thing and it's just, it's hibiscus and it's cinnamon and ginger and nutmeg and clove. It is absolutely delicious, but no one ever made a shelf stable version of it before. Traditional versions of sorrel are non-alcoholic and you give it, you know, the tea version to the children and then you put the kids to tea, then you put the kids to sleep and you put some rum in it and then it's a party. Rum has its own dissolved sugars and its own dissolved particulate. It never bonds on a molecular level with the particulate matter in the base mix. I was the first person to use a neutral grain alcohol at medicinal strength that causes a, a, a chemical reaction. It actually bonds the particulate matter into complex polysaccharide chains, it bonds protein molecules into what manifests as pectins. We remove the pectins, everything's left is clear and shelf-stable, and it's, uh, it's my addition to this centuries-long story of this beverage. That's amazing. So what do you think was uh, missing there that kept people from doing this before that uh, you jumped on and were able to make this shelf-stable version? Is this something that you came up with and found out to blend it with a different type of alcohol, or is this something that has sort of been known, but no one ever just took it to market? Uh, what was missing was the determination to do it. It took me 623 failures in my kitchen. Uh, the joke I tell at this point is, if you think something is such a good idea that no one's ever thought of it before, it's probably a terrible idea. There's probably a reason why no one has done this before. Uh, around the 500th try, I was really starting to believe it just wasn't possible to make this thing into, into a shelf-stable version. Version 624, my two gallon batch that I perfected in my kitchen was the Eureka moment. And it is the basis of the version that we bottle today still. And I, for one, I'm glad that you figured it out because I just took my first sip here. So I went on your website and I found the uh, cocktail list and I made myself the mule. And uh, so it's ginger beer, it's the Sorel and some lime in here. And it is absolutely delicious. It's uh, it's sweet. It's got a lot of that sweet floral and also uh, almost like a berry flavor to it. And then mix it in with the spiciness of that ginger beer. And I know the spice is already in the liqueur too, but it's perfectly balanced. It's so smooth. They blend together so well. And this is a drink that I could drink every day. This is uh, absolutely delicious. So the beautiful thing about Sorel is it is completely different hot to cold. My grandparents came from a place where it's always hot. So they would never think of serving it hot. On a hot day, cold Sorel is refreshing it's floral it's fruity but i live in brooklyn it's about to get cold out you serve cereal hot and all of the fruit and floral notes go to the back and then it's all baking spice notes and it's just warm and cozy and comforting it's like a nice hug with booze and uh we're right with you there we're up here in boston so we got about 70 degrees out so it's almost like a summer day out here for us in the northeast so I'm drinking it nice and cold on ice, but I definitely uh, am keeping some for the winter here to heat up and try as the weather gets cooler and experience it in that uh, different manner. Excellent.
And I also pulled a recipe from your website. I, I pulled the margarita recipe, but instead of just doing the margarita recipe as it was, I added some muddled raspberries to it. Ooh. So it has a real really nice fruity flavor. Yak is cutting out on us a little bit. I don't know if uh, you can hear me just fine still. I think she's having some Wi-Fi problems. Perfect. Well, while we're uh, waiting for her to reconnect here to us, how about some uh, some other cocktails, maybe some that aren't on the website yet or uh, other ones that we haven't mentioned here? What are some of your favorite things to do with Sorrel? So what I find is it's incredibly seasonal. In the springtime, we do gin and uh, mezcal cocktails, gin and agave cocktails. So I like a Sorrel Bees Knees. Uh, or the Sorrel Margarita does really, really well in the springtime. For the summertime, what we usually do is spritzers or what you're drinking right now, the Sorrel Hibiscus Mule. In the fall, we do this third cocktail, so a Sorrel Negroni, Sorrel Manhattan, Sorrel Old Fashioned, all of the classic third cocktails. Ooh, I forgot for summertime, a Sorrel Daiquiri is delicious. And in the wintertime, we either serve it hot by itself, that's called the Velvet Lounge, or we do hot toddies, like a hot Sorrel with whiskey and, and, and lemon. It's just the perfect thing if you have a, a nip on a cold day. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely am uh, particular to a hot toddy during the winter. Uh, we had a restaurant up in Portland, Maine, where I just lived for the past few years, and they had outdoor seating uh, back during the COVID times. And it would get a little chilly out there in Maine in the middle of the winter, but a hot toddy would warm you right back up. So we, uh, we enjoyed that alongside it. Absolutely. And uh, when it comes to this, I mean, I can see this being good just on its own here, but are there any particular foods that you typically like to pair it up with or, uh, you know, a particular meal that having any of these cocktails or this uh, liqueur by itself alongside works particularly better than another? Sorel tends to pair well with strong, bold flavors. I will say this. I hired a new food scientist in January, Dr. Hobie Wedler, PhD chemist, master sommelier, born blind. The joke he tells is he says he can see flavor. The joke I tell is I think he's kind of like daredevil, but with booze instead of fighting crime. But we asked him, what do you taste when you taste Sorel? And he came up with a flavor rule that's gonna be on our website. He got hundreds of flavors. He got savory notes and spice notes and herbal notes and four or five different kinds of fruit notes. You can kind of do anything with it depending on what you want to do. Uh, one of my favorite things to do this time of year, I do a reduction with some shallots and uh, kosher salt and, and butter and a little bit of thyme. Makes a fantastic glaze. Good over meats, good, also good for ice, over ice cream. That's interesting that uh, you could do so much with it right there. I'm definitely going to have to give that a shot there and uh, bring it more into the kitchen. That's something that I haven't thought of, but do a lot of cooking here and I uh, doing that and adding it to some meats. And then also, yeah, a reduction in adding it is like a nice little sauce. I can see that hibiscus flavor really blending well. Nice and vanilla ice cream or something like that really uh, shine through. So you pull obviously a lot of your heritage um, into the making of Sorel, but what else inspires you uh, as you continue along in your journey in the, in the liquor and spirits industry? What really inspires me is the ability to tell stories. I'm a person that believes stories matter. I think that it's a basic human need, food, shelter, 
love and stories. And this is an important story to share. It is a story of resilience. It is a story of perseverance. It's a story of joy. And it's a story I only get to tell because I stand on the mountain of sacrifices of everybody who came before me. I'm literally the first person in my entire family line who's got this kind of opportunity. But I couldn't do this if my parents hadn't fought for civil rights. And I couldn't do this if my grandparents hadn't fought Jim Crow. So many people sacrificed in order for me to tell the story. So the beautiful thing about this is none of it's about me. None of it's about me. The narrative is so much bigger than me and I am grateful to be the custodian of this story for this generation. And it's only my job to move the story forward and make sure it goes on after I'm gone. So for me, what inspires me is the ability to keep my ancestors alive and relevant uh, through this beverage. Where do you see Sorel uh, kind of going forward here? When you talk about continue, continuing the story and going beyond you, what are the bigger plans for Sorel and uh, carrying this on through? There's a lot of things in store for Sorel. For example, I've spent a decade trying to figure out how to break into the dive bar market. Sorel performs extremely well in high-end bars and high-end restaurants. Dive bars never so useless because the menus are largely shooters. But I was in Atlanta last month and I was with a proprietor who really likes Sorel but didn't see a place for it on his menu. And he had a stroke of genius. He pulled out a bottle of screwball whiskey, screwball peanut butter whiskey. And we did a one-to-one -one shot of screwball and Sorel. And oh my goodness, it is an absolute perfect PBJ shot. It surprised the hell out of me. Uh, so we can go places now that some of the some of our legitimately fantastic competitors don't have a home. And speaking of a home, the government of Barbados loves Sorel. I've met with the Ministry of Finance on several occasions, and they would like for me to build a distillery there, which they are going to help pay for. So this beverage, which came from Barbados, can be brought home. They want Sorel to be made by local hands with local ingredients, uh, and they want to get behind it as a, as a country and see it in every restaurant, every hotel bar, every duty-free shop. So at some point in the next couple of years, I'm going to build a distillery in Barbados. Sorel will also have a home in Brooklyn at some point too. I intend to buy a, a building in Brooklyn and have Sorel be brought back to where it came, which started. At the moment, it is being made in Laird's, which is in New Jersey. And the Laird's family is just fantastic. They have 300 years of experience, so a little more experience than I do. And more important than that, they really do share our values. They're about legacy and they're about integrity. So it's been wonderful working with them. The product's better than it's ever been. But at a certain point, we're going to absolutely expand. That sounds amazing. And we can't wait for that to happen. I, I think that your journey is just really inspiring to us. And as we've learned doing this podcast, talking to so many different food and beverage brands, storytelling is so important. Um, no matter what your story is, people can't connect with you unless they really, you know, get it. And, and they feel more of that like connection and relationship with 
um, the people behind the spirits. And that's, you know, what Nick and I are all about. That's why we have you on. That's why we love talking to so many different people. Um, but that is, that's really cool. We can't wait to see that happening for you. So obviously this can be standalone as well. And like you said, I wish I had some screwball whiskey here, by the way, um, sidetrack, because that sounds delicious. <laughs> um, but for you, what are you most often mixing the liqueur with? Is there one drink that you kind of lean towards? Caribbeans traditionally drink this neat. Maybe ice, maybe over, uh, maybe with a lime over a little seltzer. I will tell you that I think I broke a Caribbean person last weekend. I did whiskey pressed Brooklyn last weekend and it was chilly out. So we served Cyril hot out of a thermos. And a person of Caribbean descent came up to me and tried it and knew exactly what it was, but had never tried it hot before. And he was like confused. He was like, this is delicious, but it's hot. I don't understand. So I, I think there's a lot of different ways we can go with this. Uh, I know that the ski resorts are loving it hot. Uh, so we're gonna see it being used different ways across the country. I, I'm not a parent, so I don't really know what it's like to raise a child, but my feeling is that it's my job to, to guide Sorel into what it's going to become, but not to determine what it's going to become. That's not up to me. It's going to be out there in the world doing things I couldn't imagine it. The bartending community is so ridiculously talented. I don't know if anyone has seen the show Drink Masters yet, but wow, what a fantastic community we get to work with. The things I've seen people do with my beverage, where my biggest idea was put a, a, a cube of ice in it and drink it. I have no idea what folks are going to do and I can't wait to see how people are gonna use this to brighten up their own creations. Sorel is a Sorel is a cheat code, and it is uh, pretty impressive what they can do. I know we've had quite a few cocktail artists, as we call them, on the show here. People that have written books and just filled hundreds of pages of all these different delicious cocktails that they came up. With. It's always impressive to see what they come up with. Now you mentioned uh, working with Laird's there to produce this right now. Tell us a little bit what about that experience between getting batch number six twenty four right. You've hit that. And then finally starting to take this to market, what were some of the growing pains? And tell us a little story here about what it was like in figuring out how to take this and then spread it out into a, uh, a volume that you could actually distribute it. Uh, it's been arduous. I launched in May of 2012. Uh, I don't know if anyone remembers, but in the fall of 2012, Hurricane Sandy destroyed South Brooklyn. So my distillery was underwater. Six feet of seawater on the first floor, five feet of seawater on the, in, the, in the basement. All the commodities, all the equipment destroyed. The building was 106 years old, took major structural damage. FEMA didn't pay a dime. Insurance didn't pay a dime. It should have all ended then. Uh, I took my, all my life savings and every ounce of strength I had and rebuilt from nothing and ended up launching 22 states in a couple of years. It got big enough and got well enough known to the point where we negotiated a major contract in 2015 to take the brand national. They reneged. Negotiated a second contract in 2016 to take the brand national for millions of dollars. They reneged as well. Uh, so I, uh, I put the brand on pause because I was homeless. I was homeless for about a year and a half. Uh, 
it was an interesting time because nobody pretty much knew I was teaching. I dedicated myself to the community in the time that the brand was on pause. I was teaching about equity, diversity, and equality in our industry. I was writing and giving seminars around the country, but I was truthfully working from my phone and trying to figure out where I was going to rest my head at night. Did that for a year and a half. Actually won uh, an award for best food essay by the American Food Journalist for uh, an essay I wrote on my phone while I was homeless about uh, my grandfather's love of rice. In 2020, uh, George Floyd was murdered while we were all home uh, on pandemic watch. And we watched, we watched. We watched this man be killed. And suddenly Black Lives Mattered. And I got a call from a buddy of mine named Jeff Gordner, who used to be the restaurant critic for, for Esquire Magazine. And he said to me, Jack, do people know that you're the first legal Black distiller in the country? Did I mention that? I'm the first Black person legally licensed to make alcohol post-prohibition. Jeff asked me if anyone knew this. I said, Jeff, no one cares. He said, listen, Black Lives Matter. Maybe someone cares now. So he arranged for an article to be written about me in Esquire. And I've been speaking to the top echelon of the liquor industry the entire time I was homeless to try to get the brand back on the market. And everyone agreed it was a fantastic brand and nobody was willing to invest. The Esquire article got a bunch of new investors involved. I was near the end of an agreement with a particular group of investors who then tried to change the, the nature of our contract. And so I went to my lawyers and I said to my lawyers, am I insane or do words have meaning? And my lawyer said, words have meaning, you're not crazy. They're trying to do some shady stuff. So I did the thing I'm not really good at and I'm still working on and I asked for help. I reached out to a colleague, you may know her, the CEO of Uncle Nearest, Fawn Weaver. And I said, Fawn, I hit a stumbling block with my investment group. Can you offer any suggestions? What I didn't know and what I couldn't have known is literally the day before Fawn was doing an interview on a podcast about all of the different brands that she's helping because Uncle Nair is helping a bunch of different minority-owned brands, connections, distributor, distributor notes, uh, however they can help out. And the interviewer said to her, are you helping Jackie Summers? And Fawn's response was, that guy from Brooklyn, he don't need my help. And the interviewer reassured her, you should talk to Jackie. He does need your help. So literally the day after some interviewer said that to her, she gets this note from me going, what should I do? And literally the next day we had a guarantee of funding. So we are now with the Uncle Nearest family. We're under, we are under the Uncle Nearest umbrella and it's been a fantastic relationship so far. That is amazing. And you know, it's one of those 
serendipitous moments, right, where life just kind of works out and things fall together. And Uncle Nearest is definitely a brand that we've looked up to. I think they're, you know, they're always doing incredible work and, and the people behind them are as well. They're very inspiring. Um, and, at, you know, you've mentioned Tom, but who are some other people in the spirit space that, or maybe not just spirits, maybe it's just within um, the speaking community, within the community that you're really involved in now that have, that continue to kind of inspire and mentor you through um, through your business? I really need to give a shout out to my vice president, Summer Lee. Summer is, if I'm the father of Sorel, Summer is, is essentially the mother of, of Sorel. She has been with me for a decade. She can do everything I can do, but backwards and in heels. And she's got the good sense to not launch a brand of her own. I could not, would not do it without her. She, I made a decision when I took her on 10 years ago as my number two, to not make any decision without consulting her first. She's one of three or four people on the planet who can push me around. I'm not really sure how she does it. Uh, but she can, she can bully me. And I've got a real simple rule. If you can't tell me what to do, you cannot tell me what to do. But if you can tell me what to do, you can tell me what to do. And it has always been in my best interest to listen to Summer Lee. She is usually right. So I always wanna give a shout out to her whenever I get the chance. And the uh, space that you're in in New York now, you said you want to grow, um, you're looking to grow in, in that Barbados space as well. Um, has the community within Brooklyn really continued to show you the most support? Or are you finding that you're really building your reach across the country to a point where um, you're just, you know, you're, you're growing everywhere? The interesting thing about taking a brand national is it's hyper-local. You can't treat Bed-Stuy the same way that you treat Bensonhurst, and you can't treat Miami the same way you treat Aspen. We are treating literally every single neighborhood, every single account as a unique entity and going, what do you need? How can we help you succeed? Every single time I walk into a bar, a restaurant, a retailer, I try to forget everything I know and try to absorb everything I can about what they what works for them? And my question is always, how can I contribute to your success? So the interesting thing about growing the brand nationally is there is no overarching plan except to really pay attention to what works for the individuals. And if you pay attention to that, then things tend to work out themselves. That's amazing. And uh, I know I've really been enjoying my cocktail here. And I know Bianca has been enjoying her margarita as well. We're so glad you came on to join us tonight and share Sorel with us. Uh, it is an amazing liqueur. It's definitely something that's going to be a staple on my shelf going forward. You have such an amazing story as well. And uh, we're so glad you were able to share it today. We can't wait to share it here with the world in a couple of weeks here when this goes live. But we'll definitely be uh, promoting this out on social and you'll see it out there with uh, awesome pictures of our cocktails and everything. And we can't wait to work with you again in the future. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Anytime. All right. You have a great night, Jackie. Cheers. Take care. Cheers.
social at Uncorked Corner and on the blog at uncorkedcorner.com for a taste of more food and beverage content. And if you enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a comment, subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks for listening.